Hey friends, this is Boss Barista. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. I'm just going to have you introduce yourself. Cool. Uh, my name is Emily Orndorff. I do the wholesale training and I'm an assistant manager at Boxcar Coffee Roasters in Boulder, Colorado. Um, this is my third year, third season competing. Um, I did the Austin qualifiers, didn't make it there. Um, then went to USBC last year for the first time. And now just finished up Denver qualifiers. So in this episode, we're going to try to break down Emily's score sheet. So Emily placed third, like she said, at the Denver qualifying event um, and had probably a lot more perspectives this time around than you have like in previous years. You got to do the Glitter Cat Barista Boot Camp. So you had kind of a lot of different eyes on your routine. So let's just go backwards and talk about how you prepared for your routine and what were some of the things that you considered from maybe years past or feedback that you'd gotten before? Yeah. Um, well, every, every year was getting better. Um, but I really only had just myself to kind of go through my score sheets and I would, you know, show people them, but it wasn't like, I felt like I had really any full direction of where to go from there. Um, so I applied to GlitterCAD this year, which was so wonderful. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of variance between who was attending. Like we had some seasoned people um, in the coffee industry, some completely new people, um, and then a couple like people that have actually done the competition a couple times before. Um, but the, the program was all the same. Um, it wasn't like specific to each one of us. Um, and it was still like, I had some key takeaways of just how to structure my routine, how to be thinking about the coffee that I was choosing and using, um, how to really like take away things from my score sheets, um, and work on them. Um, and so this year, I mean, I, I had an idea of kind of just where I was at, which wasn't really anywhere it was like a lack of motivation and a lack of um love of coffee um but I wanted to structure it and I I approached Pete about this um being one of the coaches there um he was like okay like we can turn this into a routine it's just you know then that's when I reached out to you um Ashley of like how I can structure it in a way that one fits the routine or the structure of just how these routines are set up and how to like not just make it a big Debbie Downer of a (laughs) routine where I'm like I don't want to do coffee anymore this is bumming me out and like how to structure it of like how do we stay motivated here um because it is something I love to do and it is where I found, you know, a rejuvenation of sorts. <laughs> right. So 
If you haven't seen Emily's routine, I would suggest that you should probably pause this right now and go watch it because we're going to talk about it pretty, pretty in detail, um, especially because, you know, I've seen this routine a couple of times, both in on our live on the live stream and just by reading the routine. Um, so we're going to be pretty explicit about like just some of the things that we saw. But so you talked a lot about burnout, which you mentioned is kind of like a Debbie Downer of a topic. So, like, how did you think about making it both accessible to the judges and something that actually, like, ended up being a good thing for you? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that I found was just the more and more I talked about it to people, because, like, this is this has been a feeling that I've had probably over the past, I don't know, six, eight months. Um, and it was killing me at work. Um, and I think just my general attitude around work and around coffee was just not good. Um, but the more I kind of talked about just how burnt out I was, like the more feedback I was getting of like, yeah, I've been there. I feel it. Um, and, and so that was reassuring to be like, okay, if I did a routine around something that I think a lot of us feel, it's not going to be totally off the wall or, you know, radical to say it like everyone who has been in this industry, at least, you know, even a year, two years, it depends on what, you know, kind of role you're in, but has felt a burnout in their day-to-day routine at some point. There's, I mean, the more and more I asked, like that's kind of what I kept getting. So, um, and especially when I, I started to talk to you, we kind of had to frame it about, okay, well, you have to ask the question then like, why are you doing this still? Um, and so we kind of boiled it down to motivation. Um, and I think originally when I approached it, I was like, I'm going to make some big blanket statement about why we're all here. Um, and that ended up feeling kind of inauthentic and weird. Um, and that kind of did feel off base to be telling judges and telling the audience of like, here's why you're here and here's why you should stay in coffee. Um, so then we, d- we posted it as a question of like, you specifically, what is your favorite part about coffee? What keeps you motivated here? Um, and like, for me, it, it's competitions. It's like when we all come together in a community like this. And every time I leave those, like I always feel a revitalized sense of, community um i usually like feel revamped with my company um and that and that feels really good but like for other people it's like day-to-day interactions with like regulars or maybe it's just i don't know the science of it all um so yeah posing it as a question of motivation i think is how we ended up kind of moving it forward into a more positive realm yeah what specifically from Glitter Cat do you think kind of changed the way that you approached competition? And what would you want people who maybe weren't able to go to that to start thinking about when they prep their routines? Mm. I mean, the takeaway mostly that I got from Glitter Cat was community. Um, and it was one of like, let's reshape 
what the faces of this competition look like. Um, and it, for me, like it put pressure on myself. I put pressure on myself. They didn't put pressure on me, but to just like to show up and be better and, you know, represent groups that are not being represented well in this competition. Um, and they gave you the resources. Like we had breakdowns of Pete doing like how to structure your routine with like a core idea and then connecting it to the coffee um, and any technical stuff you want to do. We had Erica talking about how to command a room, um, how to really like draw judges in just with a hook of what your routine looks like. We were dialing in coffees. We were learning how to blend coffees. Um, Layla ran through all of the score sheets. What's what's really emphasized the most and that i mean for me honestly that was one of the biggest things to think about like we had visual cues of like what percentage of the score is placed in one certain area and i'm like okay so here are the most important things these are the things i need to really hammer down this time um and you know it, it were it was things like tactile espresso for example is one of the biggest multipliers on the score sheet and I had never really placed that much weight into it. Like, I'd be like, you know, it's medium body. That's, it's maybe a mel velvety mouthfeel, but like, that's key. Um, and so I also ended up having like a lot more people help me dial in, help me um, go through tasting notes, people who I trusted, obviously, but um, I think the more feedback I got on things this year, um, and that, and that was stemmed from Glaricat. Like we all were asking for help in, from the beginning of it to all the way through, like T-Ben was there helping us, every single one of us dial in. Um, I had Sam help. I had all of the people from Boxcar help. Um, yeah. So that was probably the biggest thing. I think, I think you talking about the score sheet is actually really key because yeah there's something about watching you and then watching Andrea <laughs> while I was watching all the routines and I was like, you two are doing something that I don't see everyone do, but is really important. And you guys spent a lot of time talking through the flavor notes of your espresso. I almost counted with Andrea. I think she spent a whole minute just giving the flavor descriptors of her espresso. So let's actually jump into it. So we're both looking at Emily's score sheets right now. Um, Maybe we'll make these public. Who knows? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so so looking at the score sheets right now, let's start, I guess let's just start with the espresso evaluation, just because you were talking about how the tactile experience is a four-time multiplier, which is higher than any other part of the espresso notes. And I think you're right. A lot of people are like, it's medium to light body. And you're like, no, 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 no. Like you have to describe it really, yeah. really well. So something that your score sheets do really well and your judges were really good at taking notes is that they give you like a code. So at the very top, you'll see there's um, almost like a like a key that says check mark means yes, X means no, and then a little squiggly line is maybe or that you needed to describe it more. So you wrote down that you have, that your espresso was medium weight, it was velvety, it was lingering, 
the judge got medium weight, the judge got lingering, kind of didn't get velvety. But mm-hmm. that meant that you got a pretty high score. Right. Yeah. Fours. Yeah, 4.5 on the tactile for one of your judges. Oh, I yeah. think the other one. The other one also said, I'm like scrolling through this PDF. The other one gave you a four as well. Mm-hmm. And imagining if you only gave like one note and you got like a squiggly line, that would have been a lot lower. Right. Yeah, it drags it down fast. So it's like you strike a delicate balance between you probably need to give like two to three, maybe even four if you're really feeling ballsy on that. But um, yeah, like you, if you're going to call one, like it better be right. (laughs) Right. So in a way it's like, it's not necessarily like giving a lot is a good thing because you'll hit like seven out of 14 versus like one out of three. Yeah, exactly. It does give you a little bit of a cushion and it also makes the tactile experience more complex when Mm -hmm. you give more than one note. Yeah. So it's like, Oh yeah, go ahead. Oh no. I was just going to say like, I worked with a Kenya espresso and like those always for me have a crazy unique tactile sensation. Like, this one wasn't particularly savory, which was great because that's not really what I was looking for anyway. But like they do have this like juicy mouthwateringness. Um, and that was kind of what I was banking on. But, you know, when I ended up dialing in, like it ended up having like a lot heavier feel, a lot um, more bitterness than I anticipated, which was fine. It's just kind of, you know, got to be prepared to roll with it. What? How much of like the notes did you kind of have in your head before you dialed in that day versus what came to you during the day of competition? Um, honestly, it was probably like 60% already done and 40% the day of that dial in period. Um, I, Charles, our roaster ended up doing like three different roasts on the 27th which was uh five days before I ended up going so they were all fresh and um we cupped them all and like had an idea of which roast was going to be okay or not okay but like the one I wanted to use um so I started to just kind of dial in with that knowing that it was going to be super fresh um and we were going to have to kind of see it day of Um, but like I called brown sugar sweetness that kind of was always true for every roast that we ever did of it Um, there was always a citrus component it was just kind of and then there was always it was kind of fluctuating between like a raspberry and a a blackberry like and so I think I had like parameters in mind of like okay it's probably going to taste like one of these two really close together things on the flavor wheel um and it's just a matter of like deciding which one day of. Well, that's really important too to have that lexicon kind of developed ahead of time to be like, mm-hmm. I think my coffee's going to taste like one of these three things. Like, even just having like the words in front of you so you can be like, oh, it tastes like this today, I think is really critical. And I think people underestimate like how much, both how much prep they need to do ahead of time in terms of just developing that lexicon and seeing kind of the variance in your espresso um, versus like, being ready to adapt ahead of time too, if that makes sense. Right. Totally. Um, one thing I've always done is print off cards. Um, 
that have like the information for all my signature drinks and the coffee itself and and then it says like tasting notes and tactile but I always leave it blank and then I just fill it in after my dial in or my practice time um how did you think of delivering information to the judges during your espresso course um that's probably one of the takeaways from glitter cat was you know the better you can be to your judges the usually better scores you will have um because i mean they're asked to do a lot like they have to write every time you're up there they need to be like looking at you and smiling um and so to like hammer them with information while you're doing stuff and expecting them to taste isn't really beneficial for you because you need them to like kind of sit with your notes to have time to write your notes um and to like taste the coffee so um and then for me like i have always gone over time this was the first year that i haven't um you nailed it at 10 minutes exactly yeah that was um pure luck because i definitely thought it was 9:59, but and then I looked and I was like, wow, really left it to the edge, but okay. Um, yeah, 10 minutes. So that was great. Um, but when I was practicing, like it, it was not there. Um, it was over time as usual. And granted, like I, the machine that I practice on, I always have had run a lot longer shots. Like my shots were running like 40 seconds. So it's, and that adds up fast. Like, you know, an extra 10 seconds. My shots ended up being 30 seconds on the Black Eagle. But anyway, all that to say, like, I was trying to figure out ways where they had time to write things down that was filling space where I didn't need to be talking about anything. Um, so I had a visual cue, which obviously, like, you, those don't get scored, but they are nice for your judges. Um, to reference, especially if you're talking really fast, which I probably was. Um, and then I was like, my shots by the standards of competition, like they were, they were on the longer side, they were 30 seconds. Um, and so like, while I was at the machine, I was like, these are just going to sit here and pull. So I might as well tell them the notes now. And then I can come back, I can serve them, I can look at them and I can, let these espressos cool while I'm talking about more thematic stuff within my routine. Um, I think that's something a lot of people don't think about is when to give their flavor notes. And it, and it does feel awkward a lot of the time, <laughs> but I don't know. You have to work it in where, where you can. Right. But I think you did this and a, a lot of seasoned competitors do this is giving their notes ahead of time and giving the judges like ample time to write things down without having to both write things down and like listen to you write down what you're saying and also taste a thing like you gave time for the judges to write down the notes so that when they could finally taste the espresso like that was the only thing that they were doing yeah well and it and it lets it land for them like they're like okay this espresso is probably going to taste like orange zest and brown sugar and raspberry and baker's chocolate, um, which I think is to your advantage to like have them think thinking about those notes, which you know is just really a matter of perception. But at least like that's in their mind when they're by the time they're tasting that espresso, they already know what it's supposed to taste like. 
How did you think about giving information about the coffee specifically? Because that's something that I think a lot of competitors kind of get hung up on is like, how much do I say about this coffee? Like, do I say it's varietal and elevation? Mm. And how do I demonstrate that I'm a steward of knowledge? Yeah, um, that was also a key takeaway from Glitter Cat from Pilacata um, was we had like, you know, our core presentation idea, um, which for me wasn't really structured around the coffee itself. And some people it is like some people are super science heavy or have gone to origin, something like that. Um, and the biggest thing like I've learned now is supplying information about your coffee is only beneficial if it fits within your theme. I mean, there are like, there are some things that you need to provide, obviously, like you need to tell them what country this is coming from, what region it's coming from and processing method. And that's really it. Um, for me, this is my second year competing with a Kenyan, um, which is always it's never like a single estate. It's never one producer. It's always a big cooperative. It's like 600 shareholders that have variants and varietals. They just all have stuff at one wet mill um, and it's grown at different altitudes. So to give specific notes on it, one would be a reach and two wouldn't really be beneficial. So I stuck with things that would be relevant to their score sheets um which it was i felt like it was a peaberry grade so i felt like i needed to talk about that but then you have to ask yourself like what is that what is that doing um so i ended up saying and i talked to charles about this and that generally the experience is that since it's a uniform bean size it can roast and apply heat more evenly and easily um which they would have then experience as more sweetness and more brightness. Um, and then I said it was washed and I said the varietals and I said, obviously the region and um, country um, and the cooperative itself. But, but that was it. Like I didn't go into altitude. I didn't get that specific into varietals. Like I said, two of realistically what was probably four to five um, because you with Kenyans, like you don't really fully know what you're getting. Um, yeah. So like this, this was the year and it, it, and the first year that I competed, I did do a Kenyan and I like, I spent a lot of time talking about how the altitude probably affects it and builds up sweetness and like, and that was good. And it was, I guess, you know, it was accurate, but it had nothing to do with my routine. Um, it took up a lot of time. And it kind of felt like I was talking out of my ass a little bit. Um, yeah, I think there's like a part in every routine where everyone talks about like how high elevation increases sweetness. And you're like, mm -hmm. okay, we like, we know this, like, what does that matter? And I think that that's kind of like a rudimentary understanding of like you talking about the coffee and like trying to show that you're a steward of knowledge. But like for the fact that you said, I actually kind of very little about your coffee, like, yeah. The notes down here like compared to like I would say like what I would have maybe done my first year even what you said you did your first year like your judges marked you very highly on knowing a lot about coffee right I mean you know I said what I needed to say about the coffee 
relevant to what they were experiencing rather than talking about the coffee in this like bigger sense that had nothing to do with like what they were about to experience. So it was I just think like, like a lot of, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, it was just, I mean, I was just going to say it was just to the point. Right. And that. there was, there was like one sentence, I think that kind of like clinched it for me and your routine is when you tie the idea of burnout to Kenyan farmers yeah. And I was like, oh, there it is. Like that, it was literally <laughs> like that one sentence that completely tied everything together. Yes. That is one thing that I did. Like you, everything you do, link it back to your core concept. Um, and that was, I mean, convenient in a sense that, I mean, I can't say that. Like that's, they, they're having a tough year. And that was like, I was like, cool. Well, same. <laughs> um that could be the title of your your routine cool well same (laughs) cool same yeah 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 (laughs) perfect (laughs) so let's let's talk about your signature drink because something that I immediately saw when I was looking at your score sheets more than anything was that oh this this drink tasted delicious it was a good one (laughs) I'm pretty proud of it well, and and that's something that, again, I think people miss is that like they want to do these like kind of grandiose things with their signature drink. But if it doesn't taste good, nothing matters. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I mean, developing them is a weird thing. Like I just put like I, I end up making random ingredients and I make a lot of them like um, I think I made like three different kinds of shrubs. I think I made four different kinds of varieties of simple syrups. I had every kind of citrus. Um, I had a little bit of chocolate. I, you know, played around with infusing it with um, nitrogen. I played around with infusing it with CO2. Um, And it just like, it has a way of coming together. Um, But it also always amazes me that it does somehow. Um, and I just taste things until, you know, it tastes good, I guess. It's interesting to look at what your judges wrote down because like, this is them. Like you got really high scores. You got 5.5s on how it, how well explained it was, which you did an amazing job. And we talked about this when you were writing the, the speech, you were able to explain the flavor that you were going to receive in the drink, the mm-hmm. ingredient that led to that flavor and how it transformed from the experience that you had drinking the espresso. Yeah. So one of the big notes that I got my very last, like the last time I competed was that I used a lot of flavors that were inherent in the coffee itself and I didn't transform them. And you did that. Like you took it to that next level of transforming the flavor and explaining really concretely how those flavors were transformed with the ingredients that you chose. Right. Um, yeah. And that, I mean, that was, that's been a process as well. Like the first year, I think I, I did basically that, like in Austin, I ended up making a drink that was pretty good, but it, my ingredients were structured exactly, um, under my flavor calls for the espresso. So like, I think I called blackberry in my espresso, but then I also used like a blackberry reduction in my signature drink. And they're like, I'm not impressed. I was like, like, cool. Me neither. Um, And I like called like chocolate and I also used chocolate. Um, You know, it was just like, 
to me that that made sense and you know not if you just read the signature drink like I don't know how anybody really knows that except from getting score sheets back um and you know like things like glitter cut like I last year I think I got fours and 4.5s on my signature drink which like I was pretty happy with um and it and it was delicious but it was just like little things where like had I I think I used a pomegranate molasses last year but I didn't make it I just bought it at the store um which you know does not fly with them <laughs> like they want to know how you made the molasses they want to know the ratio at which you did it um they want to basically be able to go home and do it right and even on your notes both judges wrote no no recipe for the blackberry shrub which was wrong just I know so I was about to say I was like I remember it <laughs> I remember it too and that's another thing is that judges can be wrong they can be um and they marked me so high that I was like I'm not gonna argue with this um I think just one of them did the one that scored me higher said I did not explain the blackberry shrub um which I was going backwards now no the other one says not told where blackberry shrub came from (laughs) yeah well uh you can't get it all and that's the other thing like as I started to add more and more ingredients like I think I had let's see I had the egg white the shrub the gum syrup the orange oil tea I spritzed in the glass and the chocolate and like as I started to add all of these things, like it was tasting amazing. But then I was like thinking about how much time that's going to eat up to explain all of those recipes, explain how it transforms. Um, and then like give a flavor call after that, um, which was stressing me out. Like it, that's probably the biggest paragraph I have in my routine is me going through how you make a gum syrup, how you make a shrub, um, what the egg white's doing, what the ice cube's doing you know I'm looking more at the the notes and it's so like minute where you got docked so you yeah. described <laughs> cherry sweet pineapple creamy semi-sweet chocolate and they got the cherry and they got the creamy and they gave you kind of a squiggle for pineapple because yep. instead of sweet pineapple they experienced pineapple acidity <laughs> And then instead of semi-sweet chocolate, they got dark chocolate. However, yeah. you giving but those then, two things e- that they experienced, even though in different ways, probably helped you too. Yeah. Oh, no. Like you didn't, yeah. there was no, yeah, there was no like, you didn't like say like you're going to experience like Baker's chocolate and they were like, no, we actually got like cilantro i don't know yeah. like well and they would have been mad like if i had called dark chocolate and i put dark chocolate in the drink that's the thing that they don't like they don't like you calling the thing that you actually put in the drink <laughs> right right uh, which you did a really good job of transforming this drink and i'm just like looking at some of the notes that they have for you and like like i like i said like this drink scored really really well because you were accurate because you transformed the espresso and because it fucking tastes good <laughs> Yeah, it was delicious. <laughs> what like so okay, so looking at your espresso scores and looking at your signature drink scores, like what do you think are your next steps? Like what is like you preparing for USBC look like? Um, well, I'm definitely I'm going to use a different coffee. I don't know what that is yet. Um, so it's going to just kind of scrap everything. 
outside of the i think the core concept of the routine um but like if i could move my espresso scores up to i mean 4.5s fives that would be huge um it looks like the note was mostly in the finish yeah grainy medium heavy yeah like maybe just the mouthfeel tactile experience i was kind of surprised about the medium heavy like i was pretty i was pretty confident about the medium as was everyone else but you know who knows how it actually tasted um when they received it yeah i think also one thing that i was told to do and ended up not doing as much as i should have is tasting the espresso the exact same way that the judges will be so like if i'm going to set that espresso down in front of them and then talk for 45 seconds and then instruct them to stir 10 ways like i realistically should have been doing the exact same thing um, yeah to get those notes the same way because like you know i would just pull a shot and kind of let it sit for a little bit to cool it off but i wasn't timing it and then i was just like stirring however i wanted to be stirring and then tasting it and it was like yeah sure this is fine um these are my notes but yeah another thing they say in the notes is the espresso instructions are delivered after you served it (laughs) yeah that was true (laughs) well yeah but like how easy of a note is that to fix though easy yeah and it and all of my run-throughs i had done that before um and that was the opposite of me having those long shots is that when i was practicing those shots for 40 seconds and i had time to one clearly give those instructions um and to call my flavor notes and this time like they ran faster so i'd given my flavor calls but i hadn't told them that when they get these espressos to evaluate the crema but not taste and then, like I set the first one down and only the first judge did it um, because that was the second I set it down I was like shit uh, <laughs> and like you, if you watch the routine I like kind of laugh a little bit because his face was like his face was priceless because I was like if you could hold off on stirring and he was like his spoon was in the espresso and he like stops and he looks at the spoon and then he like gives me a look and then I give him a look and he like awkwardly takes the spoon out and just sets it on the side of the plate. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's an easy thing. Like just don't, don't do it. Um, they, I think they just thought like some of the instructional stuff was like kind of awkwardly placed and I don't disagree. <laughs> right. But that's so, that'll be super easy for you to fix, which is great. Yeah. Um, yeah, we like, yeah and they do give really good notes on things that you can improve on um i'm looking Mm -hmm. at some of the parts where you did get sixes which is the highest score you can get it's pretty difficult to do and the head judge has to sign off on it yeah so i'm looking mostly at your attention attention to detail and i'm wondering where you think that that came from that i honestly I think it's hard to do your like first time competing. Um, that has just mostly come from practicing workflow. Um, and just like for like boxcar is a very small 
bar to work in. Um, and we have three people behind bar at all times. So I think I have been used to working comfortably in a small space and really thinking about the ergonomics of it. Um, but it's just like every little movement needs to be intentional. Um, and so like I kind of built a more than doing like full run throughs, like Layla kind of talked to us about visualizing a run through like, okay, I'm here. And now I like know how much time it's going to take for me to walk from the machine table to the work table. And I know I need to like leave these dirty glasses over here, but I can't just like leave them in a flurry. Like I stacked them pretty, I've pretty intentionally like poured them in to where they were chilling. And then I stacked them on top. Sometimes I put like a towel over them so that like that you don't need to do that, but it's just like one little detail that doesn't take that much time from you to do um, kind of adds up in a big way. Um, and like, I was microplaning chocolate and like I did it in a run through and I, chocolate was just like flying all over cause it's not gonna go directly all into that glass. So then I was like, okay, I need to do this in front of the judges cause they like that. Um, they don't like you just like working over at the work table. Um, so I brought like a napkin or like a cloth to put under. So I spritzed the glasses, I put them there and then I poured on top of that napkin because like if I spilled, I could just like fold it in and wipe it off. And then when I did the chocolate, like it was just all going on that so that when I handed it to them, that was clean. And then I could just fold up that towel and walk away. No, that's great. Um, I, one, one year when I competed, I had, I had like an orange zest and I had like a, a glove so that when I, you know, when I would touch the orange, it would be quote unquote sanitary, which I was like, great. My attention to detail is perfect. Put the glove on the wrong hand (laughs) in the routine, which the judges noticed. Yeah. I think I did an orange zest on my first streak. Um, and it was like. I ended up peeling them before. So I had this like awkward little cup of peeled orange peels and I was like running out of time and I've never like expressed so many oranges so fast. And it was just like squeezing them and throwing them back in this cup. And then I think I like probably grabbed one of the already expressed orange peels onto like somebody else's and like tried to do it twice. Didn't work out. Oh, another note that I got, which I like had never even thought of, and I'm not really sure why I did it. Maybe I learned it from a bartender, but I double strained my drink and I got mm. positive notes for that. Yeah. So it's just like little things. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to like, that one, like I honestly could have benefited from this. My, so my ice cube situation did not work out during qualifiers. Like my run throughs, I had had these giant cubed ice that, didn't really dilute the drink that much, but chilled it pretty fast. And I got there at 7 a.m. to freeze my ice. And I didn't go till 5. So I thought that was plenty of time. But, like, that was the freezer that everyone was coming in and out of. And my ice never froze. Um, And so I had to use, like, that, you know, just crappy little 
stuff that you buy at the grocery store, which, you know, breaks in chunks. And so like, there was definitely like one point where I saw like a little ice chunk fall into a drink and I was like, oh no, this is the worst. Well, I think that this is going to be for you, the difference between qualifiers and USB-C. Right. Yeah. And that's, I think, important to know when we look at your tech scores. So let's talk about your tech scores really fast, because you did also really well on that end, too. But you were mentioning that there were things that you thought maybe wouldn't fly during USB-C that maybe you kind of got away with during qualifiers. So can you talk about some of those? Yeah. I mean, I think generally my experience is that my qualifying tech scores are always way higher. Um, And granted, like, there's a whole nother course to mess things up on. Um, and that is exactly what I did last year at USBC. Like my milk course was a situation. Um, but like I got a, I got sixes on acceptable spill waste, which I mean, I did feel like there wasn't really anything there, but also that's a hard score to get. Um, and I think I had to kind of account for, I have to account for that going into USPC. Like, I'm not going to expect to get a six there. Um, and then let's see what else we have. Just like there were times when I personally felt like I was not doing a consistent spin with my distributor tool. And they, they said I did, which great. <laughs> um, but I feel like if I'm not comfortable doing it and I go to USBC not being comfortable doing it like that, like they're going to notice that time. Um, I have finger heavy champs, which I've had on all of my score sheets ever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) T-Ven said to use like a compact mirror and like kind of look at yourself doing it, Um, which I, you know, I maybe should do. I've also like, I am so used to tamping with the forks of the portafilter off the table. And like so many people just do it because those are bolted. And I just have like horror stories of wholesale accounts telling me that their portafilter is broken because they keep tamping with non-bolted portafilters like on the table and they just pop off. Anyway, um, yeah, so what else let's see here? Something that I think competitors get really shy about is asking people to clean their machine ahead of time. Yeah, that is definitely I my first time I was like, this looks fine. Like I just kinda like looked at it and like maybe saw one little smudge. Um and this year I like I was like, uh mm, maybe this like over here and they like some of them were just scratches. This year they had blue machines, um, which I think was to everyone's advantage because you couldn't see as much smudges on that rather than the like stainless steel stuff. Um, but yeah, like they they don't have any problem doing it and it's only to your advantage because um, the more they can clean your stuff, like they'll notice stuff. And I was so upset getting my score sheets the first year, like looking at something where it was like, there was a smudge mark on the back of the top of the machine. And like, I was never over there. Like <laughs> I had no reason to be on the back of the top of the machine, like 
so it, I knew it wasn't mine, um, but I just didn't look and I didn't ask for it. So just to clarify, like before you even get on the machine, there are usually like three people who are there to help you clean the machine. And you're allowed yeah. to point out like places that you see like smudges on. So I know my first year I was like, this looks great. Same thing. Yeah, like, this is fine. <laughs> yeah exactly. But as you see more like more seasoned competitors, you see like them actually examining the machine because the tech judges will take off points for smudges, even if you did not create them. Yeah, because they don't know. Yeah, they have no idea where it came from. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell me about your prep time? Because I know that that was something that I had to like really, that's probably what I spent more time doing was prepping the 10 minutes before you actually do your routine um, because you have to make sure that everything's like super clean and that you use your time really effectively. Totally. Um, I can't say I'm terribly great at it. Um, and I have had better experiences. Like for me, it has boiled down to which cart I get for the cart to stage. Like last year at USBC, I got this like really wide one and it would had like three um, steps to it. And like, you could fit a ton of stuff all over it and like sprawl it, which to me, I was like, sweet because all I, I then had enough room to put my, like all, my judges complete setup, like, the wood placemat thing that I have, which are kind of big. Um, and then like have the spoon already on it, have the water already on it, have the spoon for the dirty spoons um, and the napkins and stuff like that, like already like laid out. So all I had to do was just move it straight to the judge's position. And then that was done. So I bought a lot more time doing that. But this year um, I had this like kind of narrow cart where I couldn't do that. So like I had to set up all of the judges stuff and um, I was like a little bit more flustered. I had my timing person like kind of go MIA for a little bit. Um, and so I wasn't getting any time checks and I had started dialing in probably around like seven minutes and granted, like I took a picture from my practice time of how roughly many seconds that, um, needed to be programmed and where kind of on the grind setting it needed to be but I pulled one shot it pulled way too fast I like dropped a shot glass um which I was gonna just use for tasting I wasn't actually using it so it didn't really matter and it by some miracle didn't break but it did make an extremely loud noise during my dial-in um yeah I would say like in the ideal world I would have spent five minutes getting everything right into place and then five minutes fully dialing in and making sure that like it was dosing right and it was pulling in those parameters that I needed it to be pulling in. But I didn't get that. I had eight minutes spent getting everything together and two minutes spent throwing a Hail Mary and hoping that shots pulled the way I wanted them to. Um, and by the end of it, like that shot glass was still on the ground. And I was kind of talking to the MC beforehand and he was like, by the way, that shot glass is still over there. I would really recommend just kind of walking over and kicking it under, which is exactly what I did. <laughs> I just kind of like anxiously paced around and like kicked it under the judges table. 
Um, it was still there, by the way. I did get it back. Don't worry. I recovered <laughs> my shot glass. Um, <laughs> so that worked, which was great. Um, and then like little things where I was like, I don't know. I probably crossed the line seeing what I could get away with. But like there's this like awkward period where you're waiting for your judges and waiting for the other person to like finish their interview where you can just kind of like pace around and like not touch anything, but also like, you know, my scale was like a little crooked, which I got marked down for one year and I was still upset about it. So I like kind of bumped into it and made it straight and like kicked my knockbox more where I wanted it to be. Um, I don't know. Is it, is it true? I don't know if this is true or not, but something I remember from like watching Layla compete because she was the first one who like brought the grinder like all the way to the edge so that any waste ended up on the ground and you couldn't tell how much it was. Totally. And that like, I would, to- I totally support that. And now like these peaks, I mean, I've had really great luck with the peaks where like they just dose really nicely and they don't make a huge mess. Like I had that time at the end where I went back and cleaned, but I'm going to be honest, I wasn't doing anything. Like I looked there and I was like, sweeping but I was like there's nothing here I'm just doing this for show um but yeah there's like little little things that you can do that like probably don't really matter that much but like on your score sheets might right add up right and that's one of the things that shows like attention to detail or yeah like Totally. towards the end like the judges can write stuff like that like what what did you do that kind of distinguished yourself um I'm looking now at your technical score sheets and like one of the big things that comes up a couple times is uh that your setup was intentional yeah yeah that's true and that I mean that was good because I I only had so many things that I needed over on the workstation um I felt more minimal than I ever had um which was great like they everything that I needed was like on this one tray pretty much and then like my ice and so it was like an easy transfer over to the judges table and a transfer back is there anything that you saw other competitors do that you were like wait I'm stealing that or like that's genius or other way other way around like oh wait like why is that person doing that um Hmm. This year, not, I mean, not as much because I probably didn't watch as many as I have in the past or like watched online. Um, but I'm trying to, I, I like, I know I have some that I've definitely stolen from other people. Um, I mean, like this year and the last year, they changed the rules to where you didn't have to have your espresso cups on top um, of the machine, which is great because at this point like none of us are (laughs) trying to serve our espressos as hot as possible um everyone's waiting for them to cool so that's been huge I remember my first year like I had to flip my entire routine because I had my shot glasses for my signature drink which I was supposed to do um second and I grabbed them and I put them under the thing and like I had pulled my shots into them and I looked down and I was like and I had to then make my signature drink, even though I was supposed to do that second. <laughs> and then, um, so little, like little 
motions like that where they've just like haunted me and so I'm like never again um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I'm trying to think of what else like I definitely I think my first year I did do the Layla thing where I pulled the grinder to the very front um I thought that was so smart um and that year actually they did have the the k30s so they did like kind of create a little bit more like static waste um yeah i can't think of anything else off the top of my head but i know i've definitely learned some stuff just through going through it yeah and i think no matter what the most important thing is to just like watch other people like i know when um when i competed um, I was using, well, one year I used a Honduran coffee and Charles Babinski, who is like my coffee hero, like yeah, not going to lie. Yeah. But like his routines are actually really great to watch because I think he's someone who incorporates themes really well. And I remember yes. watching him and being like, oh, this is how he's describing a Honduran coffee. This is how I'm going to describe my Honduran coffee. I- Yep. <laughs> I uh, remember that routine because that was definitely the one that I probably watched the most before my first competition. Um, I probably watched that one the most and then Layla's next. Yeah. Layla's is good too. Um, I watched Lem's. Um, this year I watched T-Ben's shout out. <laughs> um, Talia. Always. I really liked hers as well. Um, yeah. Yeah watching routines probably one of the most helpful things i've ever done i would agree so watch routines guys get off of this (laughs) after this podcast go watch a bunch because they're all in the live stream and they're all helpful it's true um it was especially great to just see like the row of three like when i watched you um i literally like got home from work and i was like i have to watch emily it's on right now (laughs) and uh so we me and um me and my uh, partner we like sat watched you watched Andrea watched Matt Barahura um, all three of you who are seasoned competitors and just seeing like the things that all of you guys did differently than like years previous or the way that you folks all talked about your signature drinks and your espresso drinks was really helpful to me and seeing like oh they all broke down their flavor notes really concretely they spent a lot of time doing this they spent a lot of time doing that they didn't spend that much time doing this and I was like I'm not competing and I learned a bunch about how to compete so (laughs) yeah it's helpful learn from others yeah thank you for being so open with like your score sheets and just like what your experiences were like I know that it can be hard to just like look at a thing that you just got judged on and be like I'm gonna talk about it now so yeah um well i mean like that i'm fine talking about it whether they're good or bad like it's helpful to look at um and kind of run through so this was helpful for me as well if anyone wants to reach out to you or talk to you about competition or just you know being burnt out or anything in general like how can people reach you um you know you can always slide into those dms um my email is just emily at boxcar coffee um and seriously please please do i am more than willing to help people out who have questions or just want to talk to me bounce things off 
Yeah, I know I tweeted about this uh, a couple days ago, but nothing nothing makes me happier than seeing other people's score sheets. So if you want a second set of eyes on those sheets, let me know. I'm here. Um, and also, nothing brings me more pleasure than helping people write their scripts because um, that's the stuff I'm good at. So if you guys want help on that, please reach out to me. Reach out to Emily. There are yeah. a slew of people that will help you. Um, and understandably that could be really difficult asking for help, but I think if anything, Emily has shown that like asking for help is transformative. Yeah. It was the most helpful thing I've ever done. So. <laughs> I know. I loved at the end of your, <laughs> at the end of your routine, you were like, what, 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 what happened that was different for you? And you were like, I asked for help. <laughs> I did. It was huge. <laughs> so ask for help if you can. We're all here to help you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Woo! Woo. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Boss Barista was created by me, Ashley Rodriguez, and made in collaboration with Good Beer Hunting, which is an industry-leading brand studio, editorial platform, and podcast devoted to the many issues worth discussing around the things that we eat and drink. You can learn more at goodbeerhunting.com. Please check out their website. There are so many incredible articles that I find myself looking at constantly over and over looking for advice about how we can be better in the coffee industry. They're doing a great job and they're helping us make this podcast for you folks. So goodbeerhunting.com. Go ahead, check them out.